Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. So this is how I typically structure a sermon or a message. What I try to do is I start with something that's going to draw you in, and then I try to show you how it's relevant to you. And all of that is done to get us into God's Word so we'll be prepared to listen and we'll be hungry to listen. And then I try to move us into an application, which means how can, what am I supposed to do with this or what does this mean? What are you trying to tell me? And then close with trying to bring us together and move us forward. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to try something different. I want to jump right into the scripture, which I've done plenty of times before, but sometimes I feel like we haven't really woken up yet. But to help a little bit with that, I'm just going to ask one question, and then we're going to jump into Jesus' story. And so that question is this. Are you getting the most happiness out of your spending? Now, if you think that money can't buy happiness, that means you're doing it wrong. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Happiness, money, spending. And let's look at Luke chapter 16. So Jesus is talking and he's, he, he's giving these stories one after the other. And then he gets to this story. One of my favorites. But it's different than all of his other parables. It says here, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. So we know the man is rich. And we know the man is above and beyond rich because of two things that we would miss but people at Jesus' time would not miss. It says that he was dressed in purple and fine linen. So if you were dressed in white, like if you had something nice and white, that meant that you were upper middle class. Purple, though, that's next level. And if you had a purple robe over something white, that means you're the elite. And you do that for the same reason we do today, to let people know, hey, you're the elite. I'm in the elite I mean, purple, really, does that do anything special? Does that feel better on the skin? No, it's, it's, a, it's like plumage. It's like a peacocking thing. But this is the one that really sticks out. It said he feasted sumptuously every day. Now, in the New Testament, when they use the word feast, I want you to think about the feast that was given for the prodigal son when he returned home. The father was so overjoyed that they took their prized cow that they'd been saving for a special day because you don't do that you don't have these feasts all the time only on special occasions and so they would take this animal and that was their big feast to celebrate hundreds would be fed but it says that this man did it every day but at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus now, this is the, f- the only parable that we know of, story that we have of Jesus where he mentions a name. 
He also mentions the name of the angel as well, but he gives the poor man a name, Lazarus, while the rich man is just the rich man. So we see that this rich man, this is where he spent his money. This is where he invested. He did it for himself. And most of us, if we really are being honest with ourselves, don't think it's that crazy. We've all had those ideas, if I win the lottery, this is what I'm going to do. Well, he won the lottery somehow. And in fact, when we look at this situation, a lot of times we look at it and we think, well, I mean, he must be really smart to be that rich, or he earned it, or he deserved it. And Lazarus, well, what did he do wrong? He must have done something wrong to be in this situation. Like, did he gamble? Did he cheat? Um, did his family do that? He must have earned this situation. We all do it. Even when we don't want to do it, we still do it. And the other thing that really sticks out here is it talks about the rich man's gate. Now, we're not talking about just a um, gated community. He has a gate around his house, but the term gate is really important in the scriptures. In fact, I want to bring our attention to what is supposed to happen at the gate. Because the gate to a city, that term gate, it's the place where justice is supposed to happen. It's, it's where suffering is supposed to disappear. It's where the needy come to have things met. That's the way it's supposed to happen in the kingdom of God. In fact, this is the way Amos uh, says it. He says, For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You will afflict the righteous who take a bribe and you push away the needy in the gate. And then he goes on to say a couple verses later, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Changes the whole perspective now of where we're heading in this story. So they feasted sumptuously. And um, it also says the dogs would come and lick his sores. So this Lazarus, these weren't like cute little puppies that were hanging out to encourage him. These were like mongrel scavengers. Lazarus has nothing. And I want you to now pay attention to the rest of the story and what we've already talked about. And notice the emphasis on the distance. Obviously, during this pandemic, we talk about social distance all the time. But I'm not talking about that kind of distance. I'm talking about the distance, the separation, the disconnection between Lazarus and the rich man. Two human beings who are separated in so many ways from what they wear. In fact, we don't even know what Lazarus, they don't even address what he wears. Obviously how they eat. One has food, one doesn't. But there's so many more disconnections, distance that we'll see here. Goes on to say, the poor man, Lazarus, died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. There's another separation there. Burial is so important to this community. Lazarus don't even talk about his burial because he probably didn't get one, which would be horrendous for those that knew him and loved him. But it sounds like he's very alone. And the rich man, it was very important that they mentioned he was buried. In Sheol, where he was being tormented, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away. Again, notice the distance. 
he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So Sheol is the afterlife. And it emphasizes um, separation from God here. But the rich man calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony over there. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us. Distance. This distance is fixed by God. However, on earth, that distance is not fixed. We choose it. And we see here that this rich man with his money has done all of this. And yet we also see that ultimately it's not going to create happiness. It doesn't say much about his happiness while he's on earth. But I know this. The people I know that keep trying to buy the robes and the food, it's not special anymore. And so you got to buy more and you got to do more. It's like this chasing after happiness that never happens. We talked a lot about it last week, so I don't want to rehash all of that, but we will revisit it to some degree here in a moment when we finish. He, the rich man, then said, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so they will not also come into this place of torment. The rich man's not giving up. He keeps pushing. But notice that he still thinks Lazarus exists to run his errands. Can you have him bring me something to drink? Hey, can you send Lazarus to go do this? He's still entitled after everything that he can now see about life and the afterlife. And yet he's still trying to get Lazarus to do his bidding. And yet, while on earth, he ignored him. I mean, he had feasts. They had to have thrown away food. Throw, I mean, you can't eat that much food all the time, every day. And yet, it communicates that Lazarus died from hunger. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, no, 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 father. So again, he's still arguing with Abraham. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will change. Then they will repent. Then they will change their ways. Meaning he knows that the way that he was living was wrong. And he's afraid that his family and those close to him will suffer. And so he wants Lazarus to go and take care of that for him. And then Abraham says this. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, meaning it's plain here, all through scripture, I've tried to make it clear to you, rich man, and all of these others, that the poor matter to God. 
that we have resources and we were meant to give them away. And when you don't, you miss out on happiness on earth and you miss out on happiness afterwards. You think money can buy you happiness, rich man, and you were correct, but you were spending it unwisely. You kept spending it on yourself and it never created the happiness you wanted. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Obviously, this is talking about Jesus. So I want to be clear though, even though we've been talking about happiness, the reason that we take these resources that God has entrusted us with, we're his stewards. The reason that we are to be generous is because we're commanded to honor God, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. We do this. We don't do it to gain something. But in God's infinite wisdom, he makes it so that we will bring us happiness also. It's not bad to receive joy from being generous. So now, the stuff that I would usually share a little bit earlier, I'm gonna share now, because I want it to hopefully color this story so that we can understand it more clearly, and especially the intent with which I think Jesus told this story to begin with. So remember that initial question? Are you getting the most happiness that you can from your spending? Well, there's an amazing book called uh, Happy Money. And uh, it's this whole premise of how best to spend your money to be happy. And so, uh, you know me, I love science, behavioral psychology, biology. And so I love to listen to scientists to researchers, to those that gather data, that do studies on the brain, that do behavioral science studies. And so when this person, who is a doctor, when she did this, it just, it grabbed me. So the name of the book is Happy Money. I can't remember her name right now. I feel bad about that, sorry. But one of the experiments they did is, is they went and they gave adults $20. And they divided the groups that they went to uh, into two groups. Half of the people they went to, they said, uh, spend this on yourself. And to the other half that they went around and found, they said, spend this on someone else. And then they would gather the data of their moods and their emotions, and they had a, a complex way of doing that. And what they found, as you would imagine from what I just shared, those that gave it away were significantly more happy. You would think that if you treat yourself, that you'd be happier, but that's not what the evidence shows. So they did it with children, toddlers, they couldn't speak. And so they gave them uh, gold in terms of what a toddler would think is gold, and they gave them little goldfish. You ever give goldfish to a kid, that thing's gonna be all up in their nose and in their mouth and falling down everywhere. And these toddlers could communicate, they could hear. Uh, and so they give them these goldfish and then they recognized what they did with it when they kept it versus when they gave it away. 
And they gave them commands as well. And it was amazing to see their research based on facial expressions and things that we know, the nonverbal cues that show happiness. And the kids were significantly happier, happier when they gave away their goldfish. Now they had some, there's nothing wrong with that. But they had more than they really needed. And if they kept stuffing themselves, they just inherently knew that's not gonna work. And so they gave it away. Well, I wanna share one more study with you about happiness um, that really grabbed me. Uh, there's a, a lady named uh, Abigail Marsh, Dr. Abigail Marsh, and she teaches at Georgetown. And she, through her life experiences, uh, decided that she really wanted to study altruism, and especially the super altruists. She had an experience when she was a teenager where she got in a precarious situation on the road, on the freeway, and her car spun around and she was staring into the cars as they were coming at her and she just froze and she didn't know how to get out of the situation. And right then she heard this knock on her window and she looked over and a man's there just out of nowhere who risked his life to get into that situation. And he said, it looks like you could use some help. He got in the car and he drove over to where he needed to be and it always stuck with her. Who was this man? She never actually developed a relationship or knew who he was, but it stuck with her. And then when she became a psychologist and then a researcher um, and when she's involved in neuroscience, she just really wanted to study this. Where do these super altruistic, that's her term, where do these super altruistic superhero type people come from? And let's figure that out. She went to the other side of the spectrum because it was, it's common to study psychopaths. Those who do not have compassion, who do not, for brain reasons and other reasons, but primarily genetic reasons, can't feel what someone else is feeling. And so she studied them and then went to the other side to study those who were altruistic. So she didn't know where to start, so she decided that she would study those who had donated their kidneys to complete strangers. And so she sent out the information thinking, I don't know if anyone's gonna get back to me, but I don't know where to start. And she said that her inbox just became flooded saying, I'd love to help. Yes, I'll tell you all about it. But they weren't doing this to get attention. They weren't doing it. They just, that's who they are. So is it nature? Were they born that way or was it nurture? Well, there's a few things they found out. First of all, let's make sure that we understand what altruism is. And this is how she defines altruism. A voluntary, costly behavior motivated by the desire to help another individual. It's a costly behavior. That's how we've defined love. Love costs. It's not a feeling, it's an action. Love also means something of you has to be given away. And remember, we want to keep the rich man and Lazarus in our mind this whole time and say, Jesus, what are you trying to teach us? And the thing is that she found out about these donors, these kidney donors, 
and you can give away one of your kidneys and still survive. So it's costly, but it's not death. Although there's always that risk in a surgery. You know what she found? And she said, she goes, these people, they're just happier than us. Not always before, but definitely during and after. And the other thing that really stuck out to me, and this is what I want to get from this, as she did this research, she kept interviewing them, and they, they really didn't understand what the big deal was about them. They, all of them said pretty much the same thing. I'm nothing special. The more you do this study, you're going to realize I'm just like you. There's really nothing different about me. Now, when we think about Lazarus, he had his gate, he had his life, and he would leave. That was his circle. He would bring his friends and his family into his circle. But outside didn't really matter. And when we see that when he's in Sheol, he asked Abraham, could you send Lazarus to go do this for me to those that are in my circle? But as she, Dr. Marsh, interviewed these donors, she realized they don't have a center. The world doesn't revolve around them. And so they don't have these gates. The walls kind of disappear and they see everyone, their family, their friends, and others as all equal. And that then can bring up a compassion within them and us. And as you study even more the idea of being altruistic or putting, very simply, putting others above yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself, the more you do it, you realize, you know what? It feels good to do good. I like the way this feels. God has placed it within us that we can be happy by making others happy. And it's not really that costly. It's really kind of an investment. So I want to close with this. What do we do with this, right? Well, I would say this. Start at your gate. When I think of the problems and the needs around the world, I get overwhelmed. As a family, we were looking at the parable that we studied last week, and so the five of us were gathered. It's just overwhelming to see the needs in the world, especially today, because we get images and stories from not only in our community, but literally across the world of great suffering. And it can be so paralyzing, you don't know where to start. Start at your gate. To those that you pass, to those that you cross. You don't need to do anything dramatic. But we put the needs of others above our own. One of the things that she also noticed about these uh, kidney donors is that they had, how did she put it? They had the ability to see others more clearly. They could recognize when people were in need. I don't think at the age of three or four they were born that way. They developed that. It's, it's a habit that grows, nurtured. So assuming that you are at the bottom of the spectrum in terms of giving, of being altruistic, of loving your neighbor, of putting the interest of others above yourself, I would start here. Maybe you're farther down the line, but I just want to assume that you're at zero. You could start incrementally. Who says you have to do something large? The rich man, what if he just brought an apple? He didn't even have to bring the apple. What if he sent someone to drop off the apple to Lazarus? Why not do something? 
And as you do that little bit, it will begin to grow. It feels good to do good. And so start with a dollar. What if you just had a stack of dollars and you went around and you just started handing them out? Or text. What if you, it doesn't always have to be financial. What if you were to send text once a day, say, I want to encourage someone, I want to build them up. And you send something to help and not hurt. Do you think you're going to regret that? I really shouldn't have taken the time to do that. No, because it feels good to do good. Maybe you smile at someone. Maybe you give of your time. Maybe you let someone skip in front of you in a line, one of the many lines you may have to get into. Um, Give, why don't we give to someone on the street, even if we're not sure if they're being honest or if they're lying or what they're going to do with that money? Or what if you carry around socks and you hand those out? It's going to cost you. You got to go buy some socks. You might have to go to a store. You might even have to do it on an Amazon. What if you did blankets? What if you bought apples, oranges? It's nothing huge. I mean, really, is it going to change the world? But it's a starting place. And yes, it does change. It changes you as well as blessing others, and especially in pleasing God. We talked last week about our financial plans, meeting with financial planners. And if you meet with a very healthy financial planners, they're going to ask you, what's your, what are your giving goals? We know what your saving goals are. We know what your goals are for a home or this or that. But what are your giving goals? Take the initiative. Plan that out. I hope that this spurs you on to just take a step. If I could tell Lazarus, if I could tell the rich man, if I could tell them anything, I would talk to the rich man and I would say, you know what? Hey man, this is what's going to go down. Jesus is going to tell this story about you. What if? Why don't you just share an apple, man? Why don't you just start there? I think you'll realize that it's good. Not just that it's good, but it's also good for you. I'll close with these words from Jesus. He says in Luke 6.32, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies. You see, even your enemies, the lines disappear. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. God bless.